Praise God. Praise God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. We're going to read one verse of Scripture and I'll let you be seated. Here's what the Word of God says. For this is the gospel message that you have heard from the beginning. Notice that phraseology. This is the message that you have heard since God said, let there be. That we, everybody say we. Say, that means me. That means you. That means we. In the original Greek language, the word we there simply means we. We know that it wasn't Southern writer because he just said, y'all. But this is the same message that we have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. In the name of Jesus right now, God, your presence has already been so thick in here. Every time we say your name, you just flood this place with your breath and your character. God, you fill every one of us to overflowing with the reality of who you are. And the love that we receive from you today is changing lives here and around the world. But I'm asking God that the truth of that love come alive in this place today. Change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you're not going to preach with me, y'all can just go ahead and continue to stand. But if you are going to preach with me, you can be seated. Keep your Bibles open to John, or 1 John chapter 3. We're going to spend a little bit of time there. And while you are getting set to receive the word, I want to, I want to talk about a couple things before I get into this. Some of you know this, but some, many of you may not know. We're a church that's all over the world. We have campuses in the nation of Kenya. We actually have nine different churches in the nation of Kenya, and I'm excited about that. I got a report from Pastor John Waniki this morning saying that God is doing some amazing things. They were getting to do some work on one of the, the church locations in the city of Kasuku this past week, and he sent me some pictures. It's just so cool to hear what God's doing. But in addition to the churches there, the the home groups in Australia, the home groups all over the country, in Finland and other parts of of Europe, we also have people who serve in the military who are stationed all over the world who connect with us every week. And one of those this week is uh, Chaplain Stephen Pate. He is on a boat somewhere out in the Atlantic with a bunch of sailors who are going through a lot of stuff right now. And he has reached out to us and asked us to cover them in prayer. But the beautiful thing is in the midst of all this, he's been able to preach. He's been able to go out and pray over the boat every morning on the loudspeaker. And people are coming in and they're asking for prayer. And God is doing some amazing things. Amen. And I'm super excited about the opportunity to serve people. We, we may never meet these people. But we are praying for them. So I'm going to ask that you would cover Chaplain Stephen Pate this week and over the next few months in your prayer and and all of the the men and women who are serving on that ship because I know that the hand of God is going to be on them in Jesus' name. Amen? I'm excited today because last week we ended the prayer series. Next week we're beginning the calling series. But today it falls my lot to introduce... For the first quarter of 2022, drum roll please. Today is group Sunday. 
Today is Group Sunday. Like, what is Group Sunday? This is the day that we launch all our groups for quarter one, or Q1, as all of us lazy people like to say. We don't like to say too many words. So Q1, and these are all of the groups, and you're going to be learning a little bit about that here at the end of my sermon. Jake told our drummer today, Ovi, by the way, thank you for playing with us. Did a great job today. Jake told him earlier that I would preach anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. So I'm going to prove Jake wrong, and I'm going to preach in five minutes. Is that cool? No one believes that, so I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> don't, don't act like that. No, I'm just messing. I'm going to do my best to get out of the way quickly because we want to introduce all of our groups to you today because I want to get you connected. But today I am preaching a launch sermon for the Q1 groups, and I'm simply titling this Sin, Love, and Overflow. Look at your neighbor and say, groovy, dude. Notice in the verse of Scripture that we just read, John, the the Apostle John, John the Revelator, John the Beloved, all the same individual. John is writing to the early churches in the first century, and he is speaking a message that is, if you study all three of the letters that John wrote toward the end of his life, you'll see that there was a very common theme that he began to present, and this was the theme of, of love. It was both a love to God and then a love to one another. Everybody say to one another. Y'all going to preach with me today? Say to one another. There we go. But I I love what he pulls out here in in chapter 3. He says, this is the gospel message that has not changed from the beginning. So what is the gospel message? Let's break this down real quick in the foundation part of today's sermon. What is the gospel message? The gospel message is simply this, the truth about Jesus. Another way to say gospel is the good news. What is the good news? That Jesus is the manifested God living and walking in human form, paying the price for all sin, resurrecting from the death after he pays the price, ascending back into the heavenlies, and then pouring his spirit out to empower us to live free from everything that we were before we ever met him. That is the gospel message. Like, I've never heard the gospel. You just heard the gospel. But what about the, the seven vials? And it, it, that ain't gospel. That's information. It, it's good. Well, what about the end, time, the end time prophecies? That's not gospel. That's good. You need to know what's coming down the pike. But, but what about the gifts of the Spirit? That's good, but it's not gospel. The gospel message from the beginning, and in other words, it has not changed since God spoke from the reality of who he is into the chaos that was the absence of him. Y'all remember in the Exposing Jesus series, when God spoke order into the chaos from that very moment when time began, the gospel message, the good news, how you and I find salvation has not changed. Loving one another is just as vital to our salvation standing, for lack of better term, as accepting Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Or shaking the preacher's hand for all my Baptist friends. Or falling out on the concrete speaking in other tongues for all my Pentecostal friends. Looking down your judgmental nose for all my Reformed friends. But anyway, that was a joke. Y'all should relax more. 
This is the message from the beginning. What he's doing, why is John getting so into this? What he's doing, he's actually confronting a false teaching that was trying to worm its way into the first century community. This is several decades after Jesus has ascended and the responsibility of spreading the church or spreading the way or spreading the family of God all over the world has fallen to these 12 apostles and to everyone who has joined the community at this point. And the apostles can't be everywhere. They can't personally disciple every believer. That'd be great, but you just can't do it. So they're delegating responsibility to other people. They're leaning into what they need to do right now so other people can take care of the one-on-one day-to-day. They're enjoying the community that's happening. But here's what's happening. There are people who don't align with the vision that think they know what they're talking about because they have some private revelation from God that they feel like they need to share and they're spreading lies in the community. And as a result, there's division that's starting to happen because division is the result of the confusion when someone presents an an alternative vision to what God has spoken for the house. Y'all with me today? I'm not going to pass her. I just got to give you foundation. You've got to lean into what truth is. Let me rephrase that. You have to lean into who truth is. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So if you want life, where do you go? Jesus. If you want truth, where do you go? Jesus. If you want to know the way to God, you go to Jesus because he is the fullness, the totality. He is the completeness of all there is. And the gospel message from the beginning, regardless of any variant vision or any variant theology or any variant idea, or any societal bent, we touched on that last week. If you missed it, go to nolachurch.com and catch up on last week's sermon. In spite of all of these things, there has only been one gospel message. Everybody say one. And that is the truth of who Jesus is. And the truth of who Jesus is is lived out in our lives from the beginning. This is not a new idea. Love one another. Y'all with me today? Love one another. And there are three areas that this false doctrine began to try to confuse believers in the first century. And I would submit that even in our day and age, as the world, the religious and the faith world gets smaller and smaller, because there's a church on every corner, there's 57,000 churches in a four-block area, I might be exaggerating a little bit. So what ends up happening is, Different visions for different houses become, oh, this is a different revelation. Y'all, there is only one truth. And it's been there from the beginning. And the three areas that still attack the church today, still attack believers today, are simply this. Sin, love, and overflow. The enemy wants to confuse us on sin. It's just, it's my struggle. No, it's sin. It's your struggle because you fight with it. Stop fighting and surrender and it will no longer be your sin. Lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset you. Right? Amen. It's a sin. Yep. It ain't your struggle. It's a sin. And if you can identify what the sin is, it's a heck of a lot easier. See, growing up saying heck in church or anywhere else would have also been a sin. But it's a whole lot easier. Thank you, Daddy. I remembered what you taught me. It's a whole lot easier 
to confront sin when you were willing to accept the fact that you were a sinner from birth. And without Jesus, you remain a sinner. And there's nothing you can do in your sin to overcome your sin. The only thing you can do is lean into the reality and the truth of who he is. You can't get good enough to get God. You can't stay good enough to keep God. Take 12, 13, 14 steps. It doesn't matter how many steps you take. You're still going to be a sinner until you take that one step into the arms of a loving God. I'm feeling my priest today. Ah! Look at your neighbor and go, ah! I'll make y'all Pentecostal if it's the last thing I do. Sin, love, and overflow. If I can convince you that sin is not sin, it's easy to confuse you. If I can convince you that there are some people worthy of love and other people are not worthy of love, I can confuse you. Well, I don't agree with them. I don't love them. They don't vote the way I do. I don't love them. Oh, he got quiet. They're not the same color as me. I don't love them. You think I'm bold today, Miss Pam. You missed last Sunday. Don't think I didn't notice. I didn't have my background music the whole time I was preaching. Everybody that sits in the middle, Miss Pam's like, Ooh, oh, Lord. And I'm like, praise God. I don't need an organ. I just got Miss Pam doing, doing everything. But if I can convince you that sin is not sin, that it's your choice, no, no. If I can convince you that love is marginalized or love has parameters, then I can confuse you. And if I can convince you that overflow is only one direction. Ooh. All right. So let's dive into this. There's my foundation. Now let me give you some whatnot. Everybody say whatnot. The group that John is preaching against in his letter, and sometimes men and women of God have to preach against things. It's, it, it's not fun to do this, by the way. You think, oh, it's fun to get up there and just rail. No, it's not. When I have to bump culture, it's not fun because nine out of ten times I'm bumping me. I don't like getting bumped any more than you do. And trust me, if you're getting bumped on Sunday, I've been getting bumped for three or four weeks getting ready for that Sunday. I come If you see me with bruises, because God beat the crap out of me on the way to the sermon. You may not know this, but I struggle with my humanity. It's just my struggle. But anyway, there's a group of people, there's a group of people that John is literally preaching against because they are trying to divide the community. And the group of people are the secessionists. And these people identify them themselves this way because they are intentionally trying to get people to distance or disconnect from the community. They are literally creating pockets of segregation within the body to create division to ultimately create something new. Here's the deal. God never tears down one thing that he's anointed to build up something else that he's anointing. He can pour out just as much of himself here as he's pouring out here. So if the disconnect causes this to die and this is of God, the disconnect is not of God. Is this okay? Y'all still like me? All right, cool. I was hoping so. So the secessionists, what do they do? They are former members of the community who had pulled away. They had disconnected, but they were still trying to influence and disconnect other believers. I feel like God is moving me from here to here, but I want to stay in relationship with the community. Exactly. It is a mess. 
If you felt like God was disconnecting you, why do you want to stay connected? Wouldn't you want to just disconnect? Well, that, that just doesn't seem godly. No, that's absolutely godly. Because when that connection stays there, unhealthy things are passed back and forth for both sides. And it's not good. And the secessionists were gaining influence. And they had a lot of doctors. In fact, they had six main elements. And you're like, what does this have to do with groups? I promise you, I will show you in just a second. Let me give this to you. First, they claimed to know God, but their lifestyle did not reveal Him. Second, they claimed to be sinless, but their actions of causing confusion in order to divide the community actually revealed their sin. In other words, they claimed to be sinless simply because they claimed everything they're doing that they were doing actually wasn't a sin. They justified all of their actions. Remember when we learned about justification? Self-justification is when something is crooked or broken and you take drywall mud and you just like smear over it so no one sees that it's broken, but that broken bent wall can't hold anything. It looks good on the outside, but it's broken. The only real justification comes from the one who is justification himself, the Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you repent, he tears down who you were and rebuilds you in his own image. Amen, amen. The third thing that they taught was they denied that Jesus is the Christ. What does that word mean? I thought his last name was Christ. No, that's... Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which literally is the interpolation of the Hebrew word Mishiach, which is Messiah, which simply means the manifested physicality of the invisible God. In other words, that Jesus is God wearing a skin suit. They, they denied that. In other words, they were denying that Jesus himself brought salvation as he is being God in flesh. They taught a different pathway to salvation. Y'all with me? The next thing they taught is they denied that Jesus came by blood, which is a contradiction of what they just said. He's not deity, but if he is, he was not born of a virgin. He, he was deity that manifested himself as a baby and then grew up. He was not born as a virgin or from a virgin. Okay, why does that matter? Because if you ignore the dual nature of Jesus, you ignore divinity and salvation all at the same time. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no expiation of sin. God had to manifest himself in the form of human, make himself a little lower than the angels so that he could take sin upon himself. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for all of us. Why? So that he could take that sin and let it die and bury it and then go into captivity and take captivity captive and rise out of the grave to give us power. If he was just a deity with skin, Salvation means nothing. But if you understand that the Almighty lowered Himself to be like you so He could rescue you, now it takes on a whole other meaning. Something else they taught was their relationship within the community weren't of love. 
but to cause confusion and division. I just feel like I need to talk to you. And then everything that comes out of my mouth is bile and cutting down what you're a part of. That's not a love relationship. That's division. That's not of God. Or I will serve this part of the community, but I won't serve this part of the community. I'm very comfortable with people that look and talk like this, but I'm not comfortable with people who don't look and talk like that. So that's my community. No, no, that's not love, people. That's not love. But this is what they taught. They demonstrated no affection or compassion to other believers. And as you read chapter 3, and by the way, spend some time this week in 1 John chapter 3. I don't have time to unpack the whole thing, but spend some time here, and you're going to learn a lot that was happening. You're going to learn a lot about how you should be in relationship with other believers And in other words, what was happening here is their lack of biblical community kept them from really knowing truth. And as a result, they denied Jesus. I don't really know truth because I have not been intimate with truth. I may have had an encounter. I may have had an experience, but I have not been intimate with the one who is truth. Therefore, I'm going to deny truth and nothing in my life will point to truth. It will point to me you got to understand this. The lack of biblical community, not the lack of information. The lack of biblical community calls the secessionists to become sinners. you got to hear me on this. The lack of biblical community in their life led to sin in their life. And the lack of biblical community in our lives will lead to sin in our lives. But I'm saved. It doesn't matter how saved you are. It doesn't matter what experience you've had with God. If you are isolated, if you are segregated, if you are standing alone, you will fall into sin. Because you can't make it alone. Well, I just don't like people. That sounds like a time for you to spend with Jesus to get some healing. Because if you don't like people, you have not tapped into the one group of things that God created to keep you healed spiritually. Confess your faults to one another. Why? So that you can be healed. Well, I'm going to go talk to somebody behind a curtain. That's not what the Bible says. It's none of that man's business. But when you get in a small group, uh, not of gossipers, but of people that you're doing life with, you're like, hey, I'm struggling with this. Why do you do this? To confess that you are struggling here, not so they can go, oh, well, let's talk about it. Oh, my God, that's bad. (laughs) And then when you walk out the door, like, did you hear what was going on in their life? Let me go tell Facebook. (laughs) Hello, TikTok. I don't know how to tell you this, but... Oh, my God, it's so bad. That's not what confessing your faults to one another is about. It's about, hey, Sherman, I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? Can you put your arm around me? Can you walk this out with me? Because I want to find healing. If you've got struggles, they're going to stay your struggles until you get in community and stop acting like you're perfect. You've got sin in your life. It doesn't make you evil. It makes you human. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Stop looking down your nose like you're perfect and everybody else is wrong because you jacked up the moment you were judgmental. 
We're all in the same boat together without Jesus living and breathing in our lives, without us living and breathing in the community of God. We are going to fall prey to every sin that tries to get a hold of us. Y'all going to make me lose my mind. Let's look at verse 9. Let's look at verse 9. Put it on the screen for me. Verse 9. Here's what he says. Everyone, notice he doesn't leave anyone out. Everyone who has been fathered by God, meaning God is the source of their life. Think life with a capital L, not a little L. Everyone who has been fathered by God does not practice sin. Oh, wait. What the? <laughs> but I, I, does that? Everyone who has been fathered by God does not practice sin. <laughs> That's stout. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, I don't really care for that part of that verse. Let me do what a lot of other people, let's just erase that out. Can I rabbit trail real quick? I'm going to anyway, so thanks for your permission. When I was growing up, my my dad was a pastor of a church in in Baton Rouge. Fundamentalist, Pentecostal, like old school. Like you had to wear suits to youth service. That's the way it was. And like it, it was strict. Everything is built on the word of God. My dad, even in his 80s, is still one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard in my life and knows more about the Bible than I will ever even remotely comprehend. He's probably forgotten more than I'll ever learn. But, but he, he was preaching one day and he was preaching out of something in the Old Testament. And it was obvious, like it, it bumped the crowd and the crowd was like, and they didn't like it. And these are a bunch of saved Pentecostal folks because you can't go to a Pentecostal church unless you're saved. Sinners aren't welcome there, but to do, Saved, sanctified, and on my way to heaven. But anyway. If you've never been to a Pentecostal church, you, you miss an experience. But he was preaching and he preached something that they didn't like. So he goes, oh, y- y'all didn't like that? And he was prepared for this. He just reaches in and pulls that page out of the Bible and throws it on the ground. Everybody goes, Ugh. He goes, let's turn over here and read this. Read something else they didn't like. Rip that one out. Next thing you know, he had ripped everything out of the Bible except the concordance and the maps and the leather binders. Great illustration. The problem was it was my Bible. I'm just kidding, but anyway. Back to our originally scheduled sermon. Everyone who has been fathered by God does not practice sin because God's seed resides in him. What does that mean? Is that creepy? No, that's not creepy. What that means is God fathered you when you were born again. When he moved you from darkness into marvelous light, he became your father and the seed of your father resides in you until you take your last breath. So as long as you are breathing Christ, you have been fathered by God and his seed, the essence of who he is, his reproductive stuff is in you. Does that make sense? And thus, he or she is not able to sin. But but wait, I struggle. Does that mean I'm lost? Let's be real. Quick show of hands. How many of you are thinking that right now? 
Okay, the rest of you are lying because you're thinking it too. But anyway, next week's sermon's about lying. We'll come to you. But not able to sin because he's been fathered by God. Okay, this sets a tension in our walk with God, right? Because does that mean if I mess up that I'm lost? Does that mean if I have a bad thought? Does that mean that if I wake up in the morning and, and I'm in a state that I didn't create but my subconscious created and I had those dreams that all the adults have from time to time? Or does that mean that when I slip up and someone cuts me off on an airline and I say a four-letter word with an I-N-G on the end of it and there's a hole on the other side of it and it just it's bad? Does that mean, y'all do it, why can't I talk about it in church? When I get into that emotional relationship with someone who's not my spouse and I go on Facebook and I have that conversation I shouldn't be having or I have a bunch of private conversations with people who are not the same gender as me but yet I wonder why my marriage is falling apart or I stay up all night playing video games while my spouse is up in the bedroom. By the way, if you choose video games over your spouse, you got problems. You need to be healed. But does that mean that I have lost God? Does that mean... Does that mean that I'm on my way to hell? It's a valid question. Let's go to the Word of God to see what it says. Their sin was not necessarily their stumblings. Their sin was their lack of community. How do you know this? Notice the word that we glossed over. Everyone who has been fathered by God does not practice there's a difference between practicing sin and messing up. Massive difference. And if any of us stumble, isn't it good to know that there is an advocate who sacrifices ever before the throne of judgment, making penance for us? The sacrifice of Jesus is ever before the throne of judgment saying, hey, judgment, take a back seat because my mercy is already... T Aren't you thankful for grace and mercy? The problem is not the stumble. The problem is when it becomes a lifestyle. How does it become a lifestyle? When you and I separate from the one thing God designed to keep us from practicing sin, which is biblical community with other believers. I just need to be by myself right now. You are walking into a hotbed of sin. And if you stay there, you will become a sin practicer. And if you become a sin practicer, my friend, regardless of what theology may try to confuse you with, you will be separated from your eternal father until you come back into a place of repentance. The stumbling doesn't separate you. It's the practicing. By the way, in case anyone's wondering, he's not talking to sinners here. He's talking to believers who are falling away from their relationship telling them how to get back in to relationship. Because their lack of community left them unprotected, so they believe lies. You get by yourself, you start reading your own headlines and drinking your own Kool-Aid. I come along with something that sounds good in the moment, you're like, yes, I want some of that. Why are there so many churches preaching so many things? Because of that. And in North America, we are sick with it. We are, we're church sick. We're religion sick because we go to the house of God 
would roll that up, but that's an expensive Bible. It's not liquid, so I can't drink it, but the same thing applies. We're church sick because we're doping on theology, thinking that makes us right with God. We're chasing the sensational, forgetting the fact that a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. What if God never shows you a sign? Does that mean he's no longer God? Don't think because somebody thinks they can read your mail that they're talking from God. They may be talking from a familiar spirit who knows everything about you. Hear me. Hear me. Just because it's sensational does not mean it's from the Holy Spirit. If you you doubt that, because I can can tell because there's humans in the room. Some people are doubting that. Go back to the book of Exodus. God told Moses and Aaron, throw your rod on the ground. It'll turn into a serpent. And the magicians who were worshiping devil himself walked out and said, oh, we got a bunch of staffs. We'll throw them down. Miracles don't necessarily only come from God. So don't think because it's a big hoobada-hoobada-hoobada. Or they act mystical that it's from God. That does not mean it's from God. Judge it by the fruit. Does it connect you in community or does it create division? Because if it creates division, it's not from God. Somebody need to hear that? You're welcome. Let's look at verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are revealed. There's a difference. Regardless of what a religious mindset tells you, we are not all children of God. Children of God have been fathered by God through a repentance experience, through a water baptismal burial where a resurrection takes place and where there's an infilling with breath and empowerment and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Children of God and children of the devil are revealed. Everyone who does not practice righteousness, notice that word again, doesn't mean they never mess up. It means that they practice righteousness. They're doing everything they can to continue to live righteous even though they stumble. But notice how he breaks it down. Those little M dashes, that long dash is not a hyphen. That's called an M dash. E-M dash. It's one word. It's a weird, it's an English language word. That means everything inside this phrase applies to the phrase that I just said. That's how that works. Everyone who does not practice righteousness, okay, about to tell you what that is, the one who does not love his fellow Christian is not of God. But wait, I thought righteousness meant flawlessness. No, you thought wrong. But that's how I feel it means. Then you feel wrong. And your feelings are just like my feelings. They lying to you. Righteousness is not flawlessness. It's relationship. When Jesus reveals the righteousness of God, what he is revealing is not the holiness and the, right, uh, the flawlessness of God. He's revealing the pathway to relationship with God. And when we look at our righteousness and we think it's awesome, we're thinking flawlessness. And God's like, you're not even in relationship with each other, so everything you're producing is polluted garments. Everyone who practices disconnection Everyone who practices isolation, everyone who practices division, everyone who practices variant vision, everyone who practices segregation, everyone who practices all of these things where we get people into little pockets of ideals. 
and little pockets of identity. All of this is from the devil, not from God. And everyone who does that is not of God. In other words, if you live in a state of division in your life, your father is not God. You are a child of the devil. Sin. Love. They're intrinsically tied together. If you want to stop sinning, you need to get in relationship with other believers. Don't get in relationship with people who are weaker than you. Get someone who is stronger than you who will look you in the eye and say, you're thinking wrong. I don't care if you get up and walk out of this connection right now. You are wrong, but I love you. And I'm not going to let you keep thinking wrong. You're going to hear truth before you walk. I'm going to say truth as you're walking out. Right? Righteousness is, can be defined biblically in this way. Relationship with Jesus and relationship with his family. If you stand alone as a believer, you are not a part of his family. You are not fathered by him. That's what it says. I didn't say it. Don't get mad at me. No emails, no texts. Don't DM me. I don't read most of them anyway. Take it up with Jesus. Then we can talk. Because here's the deal, y'all. We can't have a relationship with Jesus if we don't have a relationship with his family. Look at verse 11 real quick. We're, We're bringing this to a close. For this is the gospel message. We've already read this. What is the gospel message? The news about Jesus, y'all. Remember that. That you have heard from the beginning. In other words, this has not changed. God's plan for biblical community has been there since the time he said, let there be. We should love one another. In other words, we should be in relationship with other people. He's pointing out this has always been here. This is not new. But notice this. He is tying biblical community to their justification. What is justification? The word that we mostly use is saved. I got saved. Anyone ever heard that term? Okay, not a bad term. The biblical term for that is justification. This is when repentance comes alive. When we repent and we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, in that moment we are justified, not by a masking over our sin, but a complete teardown and a rebuilding of uh, into a new life, right? Y'all with me? He is tying intrinsically biblical community to what we call receiving salvation. He's tying it together. So salvation, that experience of salvation is more than Jesus, I need you in my life. You are the Lord of my life. You're the God of all gods. I believe you died and resurrected and I believe you're coming again. Okay, great. You you prayed the sinner's prayer. Good for you. But if you stay alone, you will not continue to walk into salvation. Because the word of God is tying justification from your sin with community, with Jesus and other believers. Well, me and Jesus, we just have our own thing. Then you don't have a relationship with Jesus because if you're in relationship with Jesus, he's going to connect you with somebody else. That's truth from the beginning. He's tying living into community with that freedom from sin. You have to understand this, eternal salvation that we are all on the pathway to at some place in the pathway is intrinsically tied to the community he placed you in. You hear me quote this scripture a lot. Psalm 68, verse 6. He places the lonely in families. 
but I'm not lonely. Okay, go to the original word. He places the one who stands alone in a community focused on the same thing. But I'm part of the body of Christ. He didn't put you in the body of Christ. He put you in a family. The body of Christ is made up of many, 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 many families. When God saw you take a step toward him, he said, it's the Bible built. There's families everywhere. What is the one that that individual needs? John, I'm going to take a former military guy. I'm going to put him in a job in aerospace working for NASA so someone can interpret what the aliens are saying. He will never deny that they're there. I take that to mean that they're there, and I wear a tinfoil hat every time we meet privately. That's me. You don't have to do it. But he takes, he takes a dude from New Mexico, sends him all over the world as a military guy, puts him in Alabama in the aerospace realm, then relocates you to New Orleans, while at the same time takes a hippie from Michigan <laughs> who moved to Colorado, and we know the reason she moved to Colorado, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying. It's It's cool. It's cool. Like, seriously, bro. Seriously, dude. What? Anyway. Dude, sweet. Anyway. Relocates her from Colorado to the same place. Accidentally? No. Because you were individuals. You were standing alone. In a spiritual sense, you were segregated to connect you in that office environment, to connect you at this community when we were having church on the other side of the wall. So you would come here early one Saturday morning and say, I want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that Sunday morning or that Saturday morning, God poured himself all over you in a powerful way. And you just sit back and go, dang, that was cool. I want that thing, same thing. And then two or three weeks later, the same thing happens for you only for you to go through the process of relationship, to walk into a calling that God's placed on your life. You're not in this church by accident. He placed you in this family. Now here's the deal. They're on the pastoral staff. Why did you talk about them? I'm about to tell you why I'm talking about them. They're on the pastoral staff. If God was that intentional with these two individuals who were in completely different parts of the United States, how much more is he doing the same thing for every other individual? You're not here by accident. Someone tells you it's time to move on, tell them come talk to me. Joe, so good to see you today. Not trying to embarrass you. You're supposed to be here. I dare the devil to try to take somebody out of this house. I'm going to fight. I'm stubborn. I'm goofy. And I will bite. 
I didn't learn to fight in a ring. I learned to fight on the sidewalk where my brother was pummeling me. And when he's bigger than you, you can't punch back. You got to learn some strategic placement of some very good hits and bites and scratches and kicks and eye pokes. Oh, that's out of bounds. No, it's not out of bounds. You start trying to pull somebody out of the community, I'm coming for you. Why? 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 Because when real biblical community is happening, healing from sin begins to take place. I just can't seem to get past this. You need to get in community. I'm in a small group, but are they growing you? If they're not, find another one. That doesn't mean you don't like them. It means they're not growing you. And they'll go talk to Chris and Sam and say, hey, I was in this group. I'm not growing. Don't use the Christianese phrase, I'm just not being fed. Hogwash. You're being fed. You're just not eating. You just don't like the kale that she put on the table. Because no one should eat that. I'm just saying. But God wanted me to eat kale. He'd make it taste like bacon. And then we'd all be on the same page. But you can't heal from the issues in your life without being in biblical community with other believers. I just can't get past my desire for sin. You need biblical community because as you lean into their strength, their strength that God actually put in them begins to heal you of the desires that pull you toward your weakness. Verse 16, I'm almost done. We have come to know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Thus, in other words, as a result of what he did, we ought to lay down our lives for our fellow Christians. I'm sorry. I can't be a part of a small group. I can't. I am busy. What if somebody else in your community that God placed you in needs you? Wouldn't you think it would be worth it to reschedule a couple things? Or perhaps just say, you know what? I'm going to do this. Why don't you come do this with me? Does that make sense? If Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us, how much more? As a result, not because, but as a result of what he did for us, how much more should we be willing to lay down our lives for other Christians? Here's the deal, y'all. Invite your church family into your life. Let me say it again. Not just the people who look like you. If you look around and everybody in your small group is the same color as you, you need to go invite Mark to come be a part of your small group. If you're not on TikTok, you may not get that joke. If everybody in your small group is white people, I love white people. But you need to go get some people that are not white people in your group. Y'all with me? Here's the deal. We don't have enough Asians in this church. This church needs to invite some Asian people into our community. Why Asians? Because they're going to heaven. And I want to be spending eternity with people that I don't even know on this side of the earth. Look for people who... Hey, Republicans, there's a few of you still left. A couple years, that, that number probably will increase. But anyway, that's a joke. Relax. 
I voted for Kanye, so y'all relax. But anyway. That was also a joke, Mama Pam. Please don't pray for me on that. Republicans, you need some Democrat friends. Democrat friends, all Republicans aren't racist. You need some Republican friends. And both of y'all need some independent friends. Amen? That's not how I believe. I didn't change how you believe. Because you need other people. You need people who are different from you in your life so that everybody in your circle isn't just like you. Growing up, they used to call that inbred, but that's a whole other conversation. Literally do life with the people in your church family. Share your relationship with Jesus with them. Overflow what he's done into you, into their life. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. When you get into relationship with people from your church community, meet their needs. God's calling me to Haiti because there's a whole lot of hurt. Cool. That's awesome because there is a whole lot of hurt in Haiti. But are you meeting the need of the person who sits on the other side of the room from you? Because if you're not, why in God's green goodness are you going to Haiti? Because it's going to be hot. It's going to be miserable. You're not going to have air conditioner in your hotel. And you're going to hate life. And you're going to blame God for yet another bad decision. Learn how to overflow into your church family. Then go knock on the door of Pastor John and Rachel and say, hey, where can I overflow? Where are we overflowing this week? Hey, what's coming up? Because God's done something for me. I've been in community. Can I get involved in overflowing? But you got to meet the needs of the people in your community first. If you're hurting, I'm hurting. But you got to tell me. And if you don't feel comfortable, tell me. That tells me I'm not in community with you. Verse 18, and then I'm done. Little children. This is what he says. I'm right there with you, babe. Almost done. <laughs> little children. He, he starts his phrase off, little children. In other words, hey, fam. He's trying to get their attention. Hey, fam. Let's not just love with word or with tongue. In other words, let's not just talk about it. Let's not just post about how much we love people. But let's love indeed and in truth, in our actions and in our belief. So let, let me break this down, and then, then here's, here's where we go. Don't just say you believe. Live free from sin. I'm struggling. Then get in community and let me walk you out of that because I'm not struggling with that sin. And oh, by the way, while I'm helping you get past your struggle, help me pass my struggle. Don't just say you love, find freedom through life-giving relationships. And don't just say you care, overflow your freedom to a hurting world. But it starts when you confront the sin in your life and say only the love of Jesus sets me free. And because I receive that love, I'm in love with all of you. And when we get together, we can change somebody's world. Isn't this good? Come on, let's stand to our feet and give him a hand praise.